Welcome everyone to another edition of Kiwi Talks. I am honored to be speaking to the lovely Tiffany Bulmer, who is famous for voicing Bulmer from Dragon Ball Z, but she also has many other talents, as I'm sure you'll find out today. How are you doing, Tiff? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me on. Hello to all your listeners out there. This is always exciting. I love um, being able to reach people around the world and, you know, talk to people. And, you know, we've all been so isolated that, uh, you know, all the conventions for, you know, anime people have been canceled. So this is kind of like the only way to reach out and say, hey, I'm still here. You know, we're all in this together. The world's crazy. It's been crazy for me, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes wonder um, if this pandemic had happened pre-internet, what would people have done? Oh, <laughs> I mean, clearly they survived like the Spanish flu and the not 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 survived. <laughs> that happened, you yeah. know, back before we had internet, but um, and the bubonic plague. It's just it's so hard to understand how that works today, and the misinformation that gets out there and the, um, but on the other hand, like the fact that we do have internet and people that had to say their last goodbyes to loved ones on a, you know, in a hospital bed on a cell phone or on an iPad, you know, because nobody's allowed in the hospitals. Nobody's allowed to visit. I had people, I know people that had to drop their loved one off at the emergency room and then just wait for a nurse to get, their phone open so that they could call and tell them if they, you know, could hear their voice and make sure they were okay. It's just been crazy. Yeah, I imagine. So can you tell me how you got into voice acting? I know you have a background in performing arts. You're an amazing singer. Yes. Thank you. Well. You seem like a woman of many talents. So how did um, you going down the voice acting avenue? I think when the first time somebody told me what a Renaissance woman was, I think that's when something inside my heart went, I think that might be me, you know, that I really identified with. Um, I, it's strange because, you know, my dad was pretty supportive of me being in the arts and, you know, my mom was kind of, my mother was an artist. I don't think that she wanted to see me go through the struggling artist thing like she did or, do art that I didn't really care about or, you know, wasn't passionate about. Um, so they tried to steer me in different directions. I mean, my mom was like, you can either try out for cheerleader or try out for a play, or we're not joining another choir. Like you keep making all city and I'll stay choir. And that's just another rehearsal we have to take you to, unless you're not going to be serious about it. So, you know, early on, I just fell in love with performing and it was something that came pretty natural to me. But I also love to draw and, and paint and sculpt and anything creative. Um, I was a little deficient in math. Uh, I was dyslexic growing up. I, things were backwards for me sometimes. It's a very common story with actors that they, you know, have some um, learning uh, deficiencies or differences, so to speak. Uh, and I, I kind of, I kind of, I guess I have a thing that I live by, which is prove them wrong. And I think that that has fueled me for most of my life. For example, even in college, I was getting my degree in theater. 
And I was also studying makeup and art and all the fun things. And I had my mentor was like, look, you're just going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose. You're a very talented actress and that's great and all, but you're going to have to really focus and decide if you want to do the makeup thing or the acting thing. And, you know, I never did. And, you know, I'm glad that I didn't make that choice because I've been able to do both things very successfully at this point. And um, so that's just an example. But, you know, another example is I was told I could never have children. I told, I was told that I would, you know, be the crazy cool aunt and all that fun stuff. But at 41, I got pregnant and I proved them wrong. So never give up, I guess, is the thing. And it must feel you so really can. Yeah, it, you really can do what you set your mind to. It's yeah. There's an element of you that feels so good though when you prove people wrong. The naysayers. You know, I yeah, it's true. I mean, but in a way, you know, I always feel like. Uh, I had a friend for a very long time and, and she prided herself on, I'm always right. You're always wrong. And I'm always right. And I never really liked that because I felt like if you had to be right about something, you were giving up love and affinity for the other person. You know, like if you, if you're like in a conflict and you're, you know, debating and, you know, it's, it's like politics. If you're talking about politics with somebody and, and you need to be right so badly that it's going to ruin your relationship with this other person have your opinion, but how, is it really that important that you're giving up love for another human being just to be right about something? So, uh, you know, I guess prove them wrong is, is a take on that, but it's not, I don't think it's as selfish and self-serving as, you know, having to be right, but then just proving that, I don't know. I don't know. That's just what I'm throwing out there right now. But that person, that, is that person still like that, that, you know, still has to? Yeah, right? and we're not friends because of it. Oh, well. What, what is she, it? Needed to, she needed to be right about something, and she created a story about me, and that, you know, that it happens. Friendships, you know, ebb and flow, and wax and wane, and all that stuff, so. Well, they always say a lot of oh, monks and even anyone who's quite intelligent or been successful that you should surround yourself with good people, people who have good character. So, cause that helps benefit you. Right. So if you're around negativity all the time, then you subconsciously absorb that. So you don't need that. Obviously you're in a good place now, so it doesn't really matter. You yeah. Have- but man, I'll tell you what, if you, if you would have told me months ago that I would be back in action and on top of the world, I just, couldn't see for a while how I was going to get out of this hole. I mean, I just, I've never, I've been through a lot in my life, but I have never been through what I just went through. I mean, I, I, I still look back and I still cannot believe every day the tragedies that were happening around me. And if it weren't for my husband and my daughter, like keeping, you know, just the love that I got and support from, friends and family, it was, I've never, I still just, I mean, they say that God won't give you anything that you can't handle, but boy, that was a lot all at once. I just kept trying to keep my head above water and keep being grateful for what I did have and not focus on, you know, the eight friends I lost since March under the age of 50 people were dying left and right. Like 
not even of COVID, just like a blood clot or a natural cause or, you know, my best friend died. And then on the eve of her funeral, I found out that another one of my best friend's husband had committed suicide the night before. And then it was just like, I mean, I just kept getting hit. And then, of course, having COVID myself and being locked up for 35 days in isolation away from my family. I spent my 47th birthday, like, sitting in my room alone, waiting for the bowl of ice cream to show up at my door. Mm. <laughs> so when did you, um, like, when in 2020? Was it mid-year? So, so I'll give you a little bit of my backstory um, just to, to make, to put everything in context. Um, I did Dragon Ball Z from... 1998 to 2008 and then when the kai series came out they'd recast and for the first time i was free to move about the country which was great for me i loved working in new york i I worked a lot in in los angeles i had a production company here in dallas and my business partner um got a really good job uh opening a digital film school and so i was continuing to work in production however um it was just different without my partner because she was too busy opening up the school and it was very exciting. So uh, I was free to move about the country and I ended up moving to New Orleans, Louisiana, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I got in there and right off the bat was able to write, direct, produce. I got in with the most creative people on the planet. I, uh, I had a space in an art studio that was 650 square feet of uh, costumes and wigs. And I mean, and every time I stepped out of the door of my studio, there was somebody creating something amazing. It was like an artist commune type situation. And I loved it. I mean, my bedroom was eight feet off the ground and you had to climb a ladder if you wanted to get into bed with Tiffany. It was crazy. Uh, I felt like I lived in like a little tree house and, you know, it was just, a beautiful artistic time for myself and New Orleans just has the spirit and this energy about it and, and the music. And, um, you know, I got into doing some stage managing for some really big projects and some big shows and, you know, had a theater company with some friends and I, it was just the most collaborative, beautiful group of people ever. Uh, and then, like I said, I was told I couldn't have children. And at 41, I, I met my husband four years prior. We were, we were friends. We were great. We just didn't realize that the other person was available. And when we finally figured it out, all of our friends were like, well, that makes sense. Why didn't, why did that take so long? And, um, I told him I needed, uh, I'd, I'd had really healthy relationships with the men in my life. I dated a guy in my twenties. He was a musician. He never wanted to get married, never wanted to have kids. And even though I was told I couldn't, I just didn't want that at 20-something years old to be told that wasn't even a possibility. Mm. Dated a really great guy in my 30s. I'm still good friends with both of them. We just went in separate directions. And so when I met my husband, I'm like, okay, it's in my 40s now. I'm tired of looking. We're good. I can do this. But I need to see you at your best, and I need to see you at your worst because I'm not going to – I'm not – I'm not going to start over. Let's just get this over and find out if this is going to work. And, uh, of course, every time you try to make plans, you know, God steps in and reminds you that you're not driving. And so uh, 11 months in, we got pregnant. And that was, if that wasn't a sign that we were supposed to be together, I just don't know what was. So 
we got married. Uh, well, we had our daughter first. Her name is Mary Ella Woodstock Most. She's fantastic. My husband was a radio DJ in New Orleans. He did a lot of interviews. He was on the air for over, over 10 years. And uh, we loved our life there, but it was, you know, it's a little hard to make money there when you really all of a sudden weren't planning on having a family and didn't have a 401k or anything saved up. And now it's like, you know, we were going to go like to music festivals and have brain aneurysms in our 60s and not have to leave debt or anything crazy for anybody. We we're just going to travel and have a good old time. And, you know, once you have your kid, it's like, I've got to live forever. Oh my goodness. And I'm going to have to buy a car and she's got to go to college and she needs really cute outfits because she's really, really cute. So a lot of that uh, was happening. And I called my old business partner who was opening up that digital film school in Dallas at a place called Media Tech Institute. Hmm. Media Tech is also a recording arts program that's been in Dallas for over 20 years. Uh, the engineer that opened it um, had worked in LA for a really long time and was tired of you know, teaching kids that were coming out of recording art school that didn't know how to run a soundboard. They didn't know how to do live sound. So he, he started doing workshops at his recording studio in Dallas, which is where Destiny's Child, Erica Badu, uh, Pantera, um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, they all recorded there. We have one of Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. We have one of his um, recording boards in our studio. We have one of Elton John's pianos. The place is just kind of a legend, legendary recording studio. So uh, I called her and I said, hey, look, I'll come scrub your toilets. I still had family here that didn't know my, my daughter. Um, I had a lot of friends here. And I, I said, you know, I'm looking for some steady work, not just gig to gig anymore. And um, radio doesn't pay all that well for my husband. So she said, oh my gosh. I cannot believe you're calling me right now. This is perfect. I need you to come and write this acting program for MediaTek. We're going to open our acting school. I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds great. She goes, and why don't you come open and let's do makeup while we're at it. So I was driving back and forth from New Orleans to Dallas for several months. And then when, when it just, everything kind of fell into place, it was like, okay, well, let's get the family and move to Dallas. And my, my parents are here and, you know, we just have a great support system here. My best friend that passed away, I literally lived down the street from her. Um, so we came here and everything was a go. We were, I mean, I was still doing a voiceover for, you know, the radio show back in new Orleans. And I was just sending it into them and we still would go once every six months and go visit, New Orleans, but you know, we had, we built a life here. And then March 12th was doomsday. Everything that I had worked so hard for just completely went out, out the door. It was like, it's COVID. We're shutting down. We don't have money to fund your programs anymore. We can't keep, we can't afford to keep you, keep you on. And I just, that was the beginning of a really tough chapter in my life of, you know, I was getting all the green lights and everything that this was the best choice for me to be here. And then all of a sudden my program shuts down. I lose another really, really close friend at the very beginning um, of, he actually did contract COVID, but he had some underlying conditions. And then 
not even knowing that a couple months later, my best friend was going to die. And then my other friend was committed suicide. My husband's best friend committed suicide. It was just nuts. And I mean, you know, I've never been on unemployment before. I don't know how to get through the paperwork and, you know, it was just this tedious process and I could never get anybody on the phone to ask questions because the lines were just completely clawed. I mean, everybody was freaking out. So I did what any, you know, mom would do and you got to take care of your family. I went and got a, uh, I, I told my husband, I was like, you need to start working overnight to the grocery store. They're hiring, do it. I went and got a job at a restaurant, a nightclub. I was the server. I was waiting tables. I got COVID. People weren't taking it seriously. People weren't wearing masks. It was just, you know, it was difficult. And then during that time, I mean, I, I, I have kind of a weakened immune system anyway, but man, you would have thought it was like Ferris Bueller. Like they, it was, I saw her pass out at the 31 flavors the other night, you know, whatever. But, um, and it scared me because at first it just started as a stomach thing for me. And, uh, I was, my first friend that passed away was his memorial was that week. And I just didn't feel like I could go and expose everybody else if I, if I was sick. So I got my test and, uh, this was May 26th, or was it May June? I don't even remember when the date, dates were now. I used to have that, like, on, you know, just knew that date for so long. But, uh, and I was literally sick for 35 days. And I still, like, when I say I was sick, I was still, like, you know, I had a friend that was a nurse that was giving me an IV of, of um, high doses of vitamin C and vit people were sending me their cure-alls. I mean, boy, I could have, I mean, everybody wants to tell you how to fix yourself when you are sick. That is for sure. Uh, I had people send me herbal packages. Um, I went to my acupuncturist. I got some Chinese herbs. He kind of knew that things were going awry when he was, you know, trying to order some of these things um, through his distributors in China. You know, he's got he's got a degree in Chinese medicine, and he couldn't get his hands on him, so he found something else. And you know, he sent me over this, and I I still believe at this point that 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 the respiratory part of this disease stayed away from me because I was actively from the moment I found out I had COVID was actively fighting a, a virus. I, I was actively every day waking up and taking supplements all day, every day, getting plenty of rest, isolating from my family. Um, and just really, you know, doing all the mind things of, you know, letting go and, you know, letting your body heal. And, you know, I was trying real hard not to be sick. I'll tell you what. Uh, but it was like being a ticking time bomb because nobody knew anything about this disease, especially as early on as I had it, people were just dying from it. That's really all that you knew. And I didn't ever lose my sense of smell or my sense of taste, but I lost. So that started in the stomach for me. And then it went into, um, I got this horrible ear infection in both ears. So I went to the doctor. 
I did two rounds of steroids. I was on an antibiotic to make sure that if there was anything else going on, we just go ahead and knock it out. So it wouldn't be competing and trying to fight two different situations. And, um, I, I started to lose hearing in my left ear, which is still happens intermittently, goes in and out. Uh, I developed a stutter. And as a voice actress, that's not necessarily the thing that you want to have happen is a stutter. <laughs> and it's an uh, occupational hazard of, you know, not being able to work anymore. Um, so it was just in a lot of anxiety because I, I couldn't work. I couldn't get a hold of unemployment. I didn't know how I was going to pay bills. Uh, one of my fans and one of the students up at Media Tech started a, a, a GoFundMe or a, something where she collected money. And that, you know, that pretty much saved me. I mean, if it weren't for, for the fans and people coming together and help me out, uh, I just don't know what we would have done. I just don't know. I mean, it sounds like you went through a really, really hard time. I mean, I'm getting a yeah. bit, you know, just listening to you, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I, I suppose coming out of this, you'll be stronger. Yeah, man. You know, uh, it. so I get the job at the restaurant, right? And then I get sick and then I come back and they're like, oh, we thought you were, we thought you quit. And I'm like, no, I got sick. I've had COVID. And the owner called me and he was like, you know, I mean, I was running around with like 20 year olds, like carrying these big old trays of food. I'm pushing 50. I mean, you know, and the, uh, the owner called me one day and he was like, Hey, you know, I'm, we're going to do some different things with management. And I was wondering if you would be interested in stepping up to, to GM. And I was like, well, that sounds nice and all. And I definitely need the money. So, you know, I'll do what I can for you for a little while, but to be honest with you, I, um, well, this is not my passion. I have this whole other project. I've been doing all of these things and, you know, so I'll help you turn your business around, but hopefully I'm going to have students again and hopefully I'll be getting back to school. So I stepped up into that position. It was just a blessing. Not only was it a blessing for the fact that I had, you know, a decent paycheck coming in weekly so I could get caught up on some things. But it was also a blessing in the fact that it was live music every night. And if my soul and my spirit need one thing in life, it is music. Like my husband and I both, like music is everything to us. So I think that kind of was very healing for me was to be able to be super safe, make sure that my coworkers and the people or the people that worked for me were being safe. Um, I mean, I so many times set the door guys down. I was like, you have got, this is your, this is it. It's, it's, it's coming close to our house now. You know, it's been in our house. We've got to make sure you touch every single person that comes in here. You could be a carrier. You don't even know it. This is what has to happen. And while I was sick being, you know, just with nothing else to do, I'm always a very proactive person. I got, I went and took the COVID compliance training course so that I could know how to keep my film crews, um, you know, my employees, my students. I was going to have to teach my makeup students how to, you know, be makeup artists in this new day and age. And so I was, I feel like, you know, I took the right steps in order to be proactive and, you know, be beneficial and try to keep people from being sick. And then 
lo and behold, I kid you not, guys, this has been like two, like within the last two months, I first got a call um, from the director of education from MediaTek. He was like, hey, we've got makeup students for you. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then, you know, a week later, hey, we've got five, we've got five signups for acting. And so like just within two months, my entire life has completely flipped. And it's just, everything is just kind of falling into place again. I also got, um, I was elected president for women in film Dallas of 2021. So, you know, uh, it's a lot of work, but boy, I, like I said, if you told me two months ago that I'd be in a position where I could be celebrating so much joy that's come back to my life, I just, I would not have believed it for the world. I mean, I did have faith. I'm not going to lie. I had faith. I knew that God had a plan for me and that, you know, I, I was going to be okay, but boy, am I, I mean, just my faith was tested. That's for sure. I bet. I bet. So with, with all these different things that you're doing, are you a contractor or are you an employee? Like in terms of, is it just so, work? Um, so for, for women in film, it's, it's my contribution to give back to the film community that I love so much. It's our motto is to um, empower, mentor, and uh, promote. And so for me to be a part of an organization of women that I've looked up to that have been going strong for 30 years, that is my philanthropy. That is what I give back to. We do a PSA every year that we donate to a local charity that couldn't afford to, to produce their own PSA. We have a film festival every year that's really exciting. We have a grants and scholarships committee. We give money to filmmakers and try to send them to places where they can further their education as far as workshops or grants to do certain projects. So that for me is a labor of love. Now at MediaTek, I am uh, a full-time professor. I'm, I'm the department chair for both the acting for media and the master makeup artistry. So I'm the author, the department chair and an instructor. So I did have to hire other instructors. I am teaching five days a week um, and hopefully doing some Comic-Cons coming up on the weekends, which will be fantastic. And then just, uh, you know, trying to catch up with friends and family after being shut down for so long. Yeah, I bet. So, because obviously with your students, do they know that you were the actress for Bulma? They do. They do. It, it's funny because we've been through a couple of admissions people at, at MediaTek due to the fact that uh, COVID or maybe not the right fit or, um, you know, just whatever. But this last person that came in, came in while I was away and didn't really know that until after a while. And uh, at orientation this year, when I had my acting students, I can't casually threw it out there because um, the first quarter students, they start out taking um, improv. For me, it was important for people, instead of getting really married to text uh, as, as first time actors, as beginning actors, that we just get them off of their feet, get them playing games, get them comfortable with each other um, and teaching them how to build scenes before 
you know, we sit them in front of a bunch of text and have them read and read and read hmm. and try to perform something that's written. Then we have uh, a business class right off. And the business class is, you know, how do you project goals and like what type of an actor do you want to be if you don't have a plan at the very beginning? And that plan can change, but at least you know the skills from the very beginning so that when we take the last business class in the fourth quarter, that will give you a very well-rounded education and you will know to take that any audition that you do on camera, you got to make sure you put that on your reel. Any on-camera work that you do with the film students, you got to make sure you get that on your reel. You're going to be working with makeup artists. Make sure you get those headshots done. All of that stuff in the first quarter. And then there's an intro to acting class. And I chose a uh, an acting teacher that has worked in LA and took classes from the same people that Brad Pitt took classes from. And his his knowledge of the industry out in LA is is something that Dallas doesn't have a whole lot of. And then I was very passionate about teaching the voice class and then the movement class. So on Thursdays and Fridays, I teach voice and I teach movement. And um, those are the, th I had like maybe a credit away from a dance minor. I always loved musical theater. And uh, I guess when I just casually threw that out there, I was like, yeah, you know, I wanted to teach the voice class and so I'm a voice actor. Um, and they were like, what? Oh, <laughs> huh? and I was like, oh, they didn't tell, they didn't tell, like, I'm thinking the only reason why they're here is because they, you know, they heard of me and they want to become voice actors, right? Like, I don't know why they're here. And, and so it did catch a couple of them by surprise. And there was a little fanning out going on. Um, but, you know, acting is all about trust. And so it, they, they get to study with somebody that's been there, done that professional, you know, not, not just learning how to become an actor, but also getting the stories and the anecdotes of, you know, acting through throughout a lifetime, really. Because hmm. how do you deal with fans that are, are very, or super overwhelming, I suppose? Because you know how when you go to those Comic-Con type events, they're like fully fanned out, like they can get so overwhelmed. And I mean, I get a tiny bit of it here, like even with just with my podcast, but it's nothing on the level of say Dragon Ball Z. And, right. and you know, you know, it's almost like they're, they're treating you like you're some deity or something or something so amazing. And it's, yeah. and I mean, it could be great, I suppose, but uh, how do you let it not go to your head and how do you kind of <laughs> stay grounded with it all? I love that I am not on camera talent. It is probably, I have the best fame anybody could ever want. I can walk into a restaurant and sit down. And while I'm, you know, sitting next to Lori Petty, Tank Girl and Orange is the New Black, and people are like bringing her water and wanting to take a picture of her taking a bite out of a hot dog and, you know, not leaving her alone. And they have no idea who I am. We're just in a restaurant. I'm just sitting with somebody famous. They don't know that I'm famous. I mean, it's just a blessing that I, you know, for the most part can get treated, you know, as a normal person. And then if, you know, if I find out they're a fan, I like to call it my secret power. Like I, you know, I've got the ability to blow some minds every once in a while, if I want to, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I've sat on panels with actors and they, you know, people will ask, did you ever tell anybody who you are? And most of them are like, oh no, I don't want to open that can of worms. No, I'm not doing that. 
And I'm like, you know what? I get that, but I got into acting to bring joy to people. A lot of times actors can be very selfish and they just have to have the attention and they just, you know, they're actors, you know, blah. I mean, for me, it's not necessarily about being an actor. It's about performing and bringing joy to people. So if somebody, if my little secret brings some joy to somebody's life, I, I mean, that's, that's what I'm here for. I'm, everybody needs a little joy in their life. And if I can provide that, I think that's great. Yeah, I agree. Did you get paid well doing Dragon Ball Z? Because I've heard, like, even though that it was like oh, animation. No. Yeah, that's what I heard. Like, it was the biggest oh. along with Pokemon, like, particularly uh, in the oh. 90s. But, like, to hear that you guys didn't get paid that well, I was like, what? That doesn't. Oh, yeah, that's the funniest. I- I'm pretty sure. I almost got fired. I'm, I'm sure at one point I, I sat down with the executive producer at the time, Barry Watson and the Fukunagas from Funimation. And I was like, look, this is ridiculous. We need to get paid more. We're driving from all around the DFW air, you know, area. Um, it takes all of us at least 30 to 45 minutes to get out here from where we are. And then we barely make gas money. Like this is crazy. And so the very next year when we were renewing our contracts, it clearly had all of the NDA. You're not allowed to talk about anything. Um, uh, and here's your, here's your raise shh, and just come in and be good actors. And this is the last we're going to talk about it. And that was basically it. I mean, that was it. We're not going to talk about it. Here's your little bump and pay. And, NDA all the way. And so was it the case in the entire time that you worked there? It was for me. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I mean, you know, it's tough getting replaced. I, I, I don't think it was a personal thing for me. I don't think it was, um, I, if I were a business person, which I am business minded and I was getting ready to do a different version of a show and there was somebody of more fame than the current person, I think it would be a smart business thing to, you know, try to get more followers and more fans to maybe move some people around with, you know, maybe a different following. I don't know. I don't know if that's why, but I I could see that being a thing. And, um, you know, Monica's very talented and, boy, if somebody was going to take my place, who better? You know what I mean? So, um, but I think with that happening, me going to conventions and stuff, I just wasn't really into it for a while. I'm, I'm, you know, I was just like, let me do, let me start doing this thing and this other thing and this other thing. And then after I had my, when I had my daughter, that's when I realized that I'm kind of a big deal. It's like a Ron Burgundy moment, you know? And, and for her to, to be able to, you know, go to the conventions and see me interacting. And she knows all the characters and Chi Chi's her favorite. I mean, Bulma is just her mom, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, you know, I felt like it was time to kind of come step back out and realize that, you know, every time a pop figure comes out, you know, my phone blows up again and people start wanting me to go do some signatures places and so uh, for that reason, you know, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come back up. But I mean, we just didn't know how big it was going to, we just didn't know 
that it was going to be this big of a deal. We just didn't know. Yeah, and it has. And I mean, I've spoken to obviously Linda and Stephanie as well. So when when they got blindsided with like, well, you're being replaced. I mean, obviously, I suppose it would be the same with you. There was some hurt there. I mean, to me, it does. Well, you know what? You know what? I don't mind being replaced. What I mind is working for a company for over a decade and nobody bothered to pick up the phone and call me and talk to me about the decision. So no, that was mind blowing. Right. Yeah. No, I found out about it online. I mean, I think somebody, you know what? It was probably Stephanie called me and was like, can you believe they're replacing us? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I didn't know. Really? So, oh, okay. So did you, uh huh. So that's how you found out. Doesn't, um, cause Christopher Sabat was, he was, he was in charge of some of that stuff, wasn't he? In terms of directing, uh, some of the people in, in their roles. So, yeah. And I mean, but I was, I was got along very well with Chris. I mean, I have great, Chris and I were friends in college, you know, like we, we had some good times, but I'm, I don't, I don't, you know, you can always speculate. You can always try and find a reason or you can just be and let it be and know that, you know, you had a really good run in your role and it's just business, honestly. Hmm. I mean, it is for, I mean, from my perspective, I, I have lovely relationships with everybody up at Funimation as far as I'm concerned. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I, I just, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes because obviously if you're doing a character for so long, you, I, I imagine you have an emotional attachment to that. So then when... Oh, I do for sure. At least when it initially happened, there, I, there would have been some anger, some sadness, I'm sure. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, that, that was my, I was like, oh, okay, my career's over. But it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't. And I just had to focus on other things that made me happy and try to look for the new opportunities as opposed to living in the past. I mean, that's why I moved to New Orleans. I, you know, I, I feel like that was just a blessing. I mean, my whole life changed. I wouldn't have met my husband. I may not have ever had my baby if I, you know, sometimes life has to punch you in the face to get you to be where you need to be next, you know? Yeah. So it it ended up being a positive in the end. Absolutely. And the thing is, I'm always going to be the original Bulma. You are. Period. And you're pretty much done. Character in the entire series. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, like I was in New Orleans, they called me back. They were like, maybe we'll bring back the original recipe or whatever. And I was like, okay, are you going to fly me back to do it though? Cause you know, I live eight hours away and then I never heard from them again. So, um, I, you know, I mean, like I said, I don't think it, it's definitely not a personal thing. You know, they, they, we, we, we had kind of talked about me maybe coming back. And then by the time they cast super, you know, they didn't know I was going to be back in doubt. I don't know that that would have made a difference, but I mean, maybe it would have, maybe it wouldn't have. Uh, I can't live like that. Just wondering, you know, that just would drive anybody crazy. And, you know, I know Stephanie's had a little bit of a different experience and Linda, you know, had some op- options. You know, she, she actually had conversations with what was going on. Um, I'm just grateful for what I, what I have had with 
this role and this character. And, you know, it's about as famous as I'll ever want to be. I think if it were any more than what I've already got, it just may be uncomfortable. For me, I'm a people person. I don't want to walk in and be treated like Jennifer Aniston everywhere I go. I don't. I get treated like Amy Schumer a lot because I look like her. And oh, really? We, we have the same raunchy sense of humor. So that's fun. I don't mind that at all. Yeah. I suppose that's good then that you have uh, some anonymity then. I love it. I think I'd feel the same as you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you don't really want to be the center of attention all the time. I can still go get drunk at the bar. Nobody knows who I am. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody's going to put a YouTube of like, you know, uh, who was it in New Orleans that used to get in trouble all the time? Um, it was in two fa- uh, Nick, Nick Cage, uh, right. you know, just screaming at his wife in the middle of the night at four in the morning, you know, like, yeah, who needs that? So how did you actually come up with the, the voice for Bulma? I, you know, I didn't even, I had no idea who she was. I, it was my first professional audition outside of college. I was supposed to graduate and because I was on scholarship for acting, I neglected to take my math class until the final semester. And I thought I'd charmed my math teacher enough to just give me a D and let me just get through it and graduate. And I did not, he did not think I was charming at all. He thought I was an idiot. So the day that I found out that I had failed my math class, uh, it was like within a day or two, I ran into Chris Sabat and Chris and I years before, like two, I would say two years before this exact moment that I'm reuniting with him and talking about failing my math class. We had like kind of after hung uh, one night after the bar, me and, and one of my girlfriends and his roommate and him and his roommate, you know, kind of hung out and hooked up and we were both in relationships. So we were just trying to find a way to pass the time while they were getting to know each other. And uh, he had the most stellar record collection I've ever seen. It was, he had every Olivia Newton-John and she was just my, just my inspiration. I wanted to be her. I wanted hopelessly devoted. Yeah. All that. I just, that was, she was just my girl. And so we sang the entire Olivia, like the country album, uh, and Xanadu, which is my all, one of my all time favorite movies. And so for fast forward two years, this date, I run into him at the bar and He's like, what are you doing these days? I said, you know what? I just graduated. I gave up the lease on my house. I was getting ready to move to, to Los Angeles and go to makeup school out there and, you know, maybe, you know, try to do the acting thing. And he said, well, if you're going to be around for a little while, you know, uh, I'm, I'm directing this thing called Dragon Ball Z. And, uh, you know, we've already had the open cattle call, but we've got callbacks on Monday and you should, uh, you should come audition. I was like, okay. So Monday rolls around and I realized that I've not done any preparation for this at all. No press. So I call or I text him or something and I'm like, Hey, I don't even think we had, I was on my like, hello moto flip phone, something. And, uh, I said, you know, I, I don't really know what I'm auditioning for. He was like, Oh, okay. No big deal. I've got a, a VHS tape. VHS. I said, VHS, VHS tape. But you're going to, I'm at the studio, so you're just going to have to break into my house. 
And I was like, okay. So I get over to his house and he's like, okay, to the left of the door, there's a window, there's an office. In the office, in the upper left-hand drawer, there's a VHS tape. You know, just take a look at it, you know, and, you know, I'm sure you'll do fine. So I did. I looked at it once. It had, like, seven different characters, Shoutsu, Dende, um, Gohan, Chi-Chi, Bulma. I think Baba was on there. Shoutsu was on there. Twar, maybe. I don't know. Um, so I drove out there in my... My roommate at the time was, he wanted to go too. And I was like, okay. And he was like a professional musician. So he was pretty confident that he was, you know, going to do really well at this audition. <clears throat> so I go in and Chris is even, isn't even there. I was there with Barry Watson, who was the executive producer at the time. He had started in Canada with the Oceans Group. And then when they got, when they got wind that they weren't going to get paid, they got smart and unionized. And then Funimation got smart and moved down to Dallas and tried to pull the wool over our eyes. So, and that's fine. I signed the contract. I agreed to do that work. I'm not mad at them. Um, but he came out of the booth after my audition. He was like, I just want to let you know you're a very talented actress. You read spot on for every one of those roles. I mean, and I, I'm thinking you know, don't call us, we'll call you, you know, good old college try, you know, don't give up on your dreams, kid, kind of deal. And then he called and said, actually, Chris called and said, is Tiffany Bulma Volmer there? And I'm like, Chris? He's like, yeah. And so did you hear what I said? And I said, Tiffany something Volmer? And he was like, Tiffany Bulma Volmer? That's your new character on Dragon Ball Z? And I was like, yay, that's awesome. This is great. I go in and the first recording session, we are on planet Namek. The planet is blown up. It is falling apart. And Krillin and Go Goku, young Goku, and everybody have just, is it young Goku then? I think it might have, he might have been grown up by then. Gohan? Gohan and Krillin. Gohan. Yes. Gohan and Goku. I was like, I know the little kid was there. Which one was it? Which Stephanie was it? I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway... Uh, I thought, well, that was a great voice acting career. But my character, I was thinking like the soap operas. I've been written out of the show. And they kept calling me back. But they would like, it would be a week. And then they'd call me. I, had, I still had no idea what was going on. And then they called me back finally. I want to say it's like into the second year of recording. And we went back to do Dragon Ball from the very beginning, from episode one. And that's when I kind of went, oh, man she's like the main female character of this show. I, I finally realized the importance and the impact that she had inventing the dragon radar and trying to find them in the universe and raising Goku from a monkey boy and all the misadventures that they have and how she would manipulate the men using her sexuality when, you know, she's so shy in front of Yamcha, but she'll, you know, give her dirty old panties to some little boy to try to, you know, manu manipulate the situation or, you know, show an old man or goodies, not knowing that her underwear are not on at the time. Um, but she can, you know, instigate nosebleeds or, you know, piggy, 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 make somebody have you know, explos explosive diarrhea and shit in the bushes. So uh, it was so fun. I loved Dragon Ball so much. It was just, you just never knew what antics you were going to get into 
every time you walked in, it was just, it was just such a fun time. So Barry, the original director, um, <clears throat> for me anyway, he saw Bulma and her naive, her naivete and how that, you know, it was, she, con she was, she was a contradiction. So on one hand, she's this really smart genius girl. And then on the other hand, she's just really flirty and like wants to, you know, manipulate the boys and you know this one's a boyfriend uh and he used carol burnett as the example lucille ball you know the waterfall the whoa you know so that was kind of the that was a thing that barry and i kind of came up with together um there he, he wanted a clear precise she's she's this wacky you know naive little character that happens to be a genius and save the world kind of deal. You know what I mean? Like just, yeah. So, um, I guess that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose in some ways it's, it's good in the sense that you didn't, you didn't have to do all the screaming and everything that a lot of the other voice actors did in terms of like, oh. stuff, like in, but you did have to yell quite a bit. Right. Oh yeah, man. I screamed for pages at a time. Are you kidding? Yeah. I had, oh yeah. Well, see, that was the other thing is like back when we first started, they weren't, they didn't look to see how many days, how, you know, they didn't see what a toll it was going to take on your throat or your voice. They had a deadline with, with Cartoon Network. They had to get those recordings in at a specific time period. I remember I was doing makeup on a feature film out in uh, Weatherford. Was it Weather? No, it was Waxahachie. Some W place. Yeah, Waxahachie. Wax, you're snatchy. Um, and I was, I was working on a film with Jennifer Coolidge and Deb Tinker and Leslie Jordan and um, Heather Matrazaro and uh, by the late, great Ash Christian, who was another friend that I lost during COVID. Uh, completely unrelated to COVID, but he passed away under the age of 40 of a blood clot. Uh, anyway, they called me back and I had to leave set one day. It was like our one day off that week and go back and record everything that was going to take up the next two weeks. Cause I was on this film project. I just remember every once in a while, Sunny straight and I would just walk past each other with a tea in our hands. Like, oh, here we go again, you know, just trying to bring back, you know, I tried to quit smoking. I tried to continue to smoke because I didn't want my voice to, I mean, we were pulling out all the stops just to try to get through some of those early days. They didn't really care if you were recording for six hours. They were just worried about a deadline. I know that now they don't do it that way. Now they kind of, they break it up. So the actors have time, you know, to rest their voice and, and, you know, recuperate, but it didn't start that way. No, I've lost three and a half. I used to have a three and a half octave range and I've lost some notes in my higher register that I just don't know that I'll ever get back. Just from all the yelling and screaming. Oh yeah. Was there yeah. A, a particular scene? Was there a particular scene that was really hard to do or one that took so much of a toll, I guess, on your voice? Like one, you just like, Oh my gosh, it's going on forever. How many takes? Yeah. The Namek stuff was, the oh. Namek stuff was tough. And that was like stuff as well, wasn't it? All the, all the yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, man. It just, I, I mean, it's so funny the way that I look back on this 
little short 10 years time of my life. I, I loved Dragon Ball. There was a lot of screaming in that too. And I had to go backwards in time, remember, because she's 16. So by the time Bulma started to mature and her voice was allowed to go a little bit deeper and register, I had to go back and play her, you know, at the age of 16 when she's all, you know, little kid and kitty popper and young and cute, you know. Um, so that too, just having to raise my pitch and register was a little bit more difficult after doing all that screaming and whatnot and, you know, having to, yeah, work in retrograde, I guess. Mm. So, I mean, you got to understand, I played her from the age of 16 to the age of 40 something. And in the Japanese version, she was a smoker. So I felt like I stayed true to that for a little while. Don't do it, kids. Don't vape. Don't smoke cigarettes. Um, yeah, but I mean, and, and my other, I always tell this, you ever have those dreams? I don't know if you, if you went to college or even high school, uh, I'm sure you went to high school, but whatever, <laughs> where you, you show up for the final day of class and you realize you haven't been to school all year and all of a sudden you have to take a test. Uh, you ever had a dream like that or yeah, yeah. I think I've always, whenever I had an exam coming up, I think I'd always have to uh, study or I wouldn't study enough and then I'd have a nightmare about it, usually. <laughs> exactly. I feel that way about um, GT. I feel like I know I was there. I know I did all the work, but I don't really remember recording that series at all. I, I do remember, I remember being when Bulma was possessed by evil baby and having to do my evil Bulma baby voice or whatever, that was fun. And, um, I, I really, I loved, I, I, for example, you know, the first time, I guess maybe it was the first month I started working, I got turned into a frog and I had a ribbit and character yeah. you know, like a frog. And that was super, ribbit, 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 ribbit. You know, I mean, that was fun. But yeah, GT is just a blur. I don't, I don't even barely remember that. We were also doing video games at that time. And the video games, I don't know if you've seen Budokai behind the screens, Budokai 3. Yeah. That was taxing, to say the least. That was definitely a lot of work. Is it similar when you're doing voice acting for a video game as opposed to an no. game? Or is it totally different? No, there's no arc in video games. It is run and gun. You know, we, we hear the Japanese voice and the, like the time that the, Hey, what the hell, you know, like how they're saying it. And then you automatically just put the English dub in there and it's very, very fast paced and it's pages and pages and pages of, huh, huh, huh. you know, it's just taking a toll on your diaphragm, your vocal cords. And I mean, it's just, it can be very exhausting. It's very tedious. Uh, telling the story interacting with other characters is great when you're doing video games it's all just line line i mean it's all just line 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 but because it's a video game and, and you're not you're a choice you're an option you're not necessarily it's just different i don't know how to explain it would you not be as fully invested in it i suppose because there's no story or narrative usually if it's just line 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 it sounds a lot more yeah but i mean I'm a professional. I'm invested in everything that I do just because that's what I, that's what I do for a living, you know? 
and, and in my personality as well is, you know, I'm all in when I'm in something. That's good. I went to, I went to go wait tables. I became the GM. I'm all in. And I was there until I needed to be somewhere else. And now I'm somewhere else. Hmm. That's something that I, I highly admire and respect about you because you know how there's some people, if they, if they end up being on a big show or some big type of thing, blow up for whatever reason, there can almost be like this arrogance about it. Like I'm too good for this now. But the fact that you, even though that you were Balmer, you're on like the biggest show of you know, the, the late nineties, uh, 2000s. When did it finish actually? I'm trying to think when I, the, it stopped airing. Anyway, regardless, the, 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 the point I'm trying to make is that you never got too big for it. And when, when the time came and you were ready, ready to step up and, in, rest, in a restaurant and do what you need to do. And I highly admire that. Thanks. Yeah, just willing to do what you needed to do to feed your family. And I think that's really important because a lot of people just, I don't know, they get up on their high horse, but I can tell that you're still very humble and very grounded. And I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, we're just on this rock getting hurled through space like millions of miles an hour. And, you know, our time here is limited. And so why not? just do the best you can while you're here i mean that's my philosophy i did want to ask you about makeup because obviously yeah. you've been doing it for a long time how much yes. has it changed over the years in terms of how you do the prosthetics and apply makeup and even the new stuff that they've probably brought up with how they mix stuff together i mean i don't know the technical details obviously but obviously you've been doing it a long time so has it changed yeah Oh my gosh, it's changed dramatically from from the the chemicals and the products that we use to um, you know, the just getting the profession out there to begin with that this is a real thing and it's not not that there's anything wrong with working at a counter at a, you know, I freelanced for Mac for four three or four years. Um, but that this is like a this is a, a skill and a craft and, and something to be proud of. I am the type of person where I feel like you need the building box in order to get the full education and, and appreciation for the craft. So I start teaching from the beginning with the Corson, the Richard Corson book. Um, today I, I have a fundamentals of makeup class that I teach on Mondays, which we will eventually get into makeup, but we're not doing any real makeups in that class. The fundamentals of makeup is really about um, the history of makeup, the history of the industry. Um, man, today we watched an amazing documentary. Uh, I forgot the name of it. Anyway, um, I can send it to you later, but um, and just about how, how much it's changed and how competitive it was and what a, asshole max factor ended up being and um you know the first uh um just women's roles really and 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 even today on mlk day how um the how far behind we were in in creating products specifically for african-american skin or ethnic skin at all oh. i mean that was like a push in the 90s that they finally started making you know, products specifically um, for, for different, for, you know, different types of skin. Uh, yeah. So 
things have changed, but I, I like to go back to the, the basics to find out where it is, but also to the future, like quarter two, I offer, which I don't know of any makeup school right now that does this, at least not in Dallas, uh, a digital makeup class. So not only are they learning to deal with clients, especially in our, especially with what we're going through right now, you can get a bridal person, you know, a bride, have her send your photograph and you can actually do the makeup design. Once she agrees on a design that you've done digitally using her headshot, then you can execute that in person when you actually do see each other. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, they're going to practice doing that. Like not only are they going to practice designing, but they're also going to practice taking someone else's design and translating it from a digital photograph to an actual person. So we try to stay on top of everything. Um, and, and even another example for the, for the acting class. When I was in college, I, I took a period styles class, which is when you go through Greek theater and Commedia dell'arte and Shakespeare and all that stuff. Well, now that, that's not really relevant because we're, we're in a new time period, but it, we don't call it that. We, you think of period as like a period piece, you know, like something um, from a long time ago, you know, but uh, so I have a, 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 an acting styles class where we also get you out on a green screen and we show you the future of filmmaking and the future of acting as opposed to just really focusing on uh, corsets and peignets and, you know, period costume and, and that kind of thing. It's, yeah, you're going to experience all that all the way back from Greek theater and the masks and, um, you know, up to current day. And then what's the future of acting? Every special effect makeup starts with an actor sitting in a makeup chair. I met um, the, the, the uh, white knight from Game of Thrones. Yep. He's a stunt guy. His makeup transformation got him so much clout as, a, as an actor. Stunt guys usually kind of get tossed away with, the fact that they're just, you know, in to do the stunts and then the star actually comes in and gets all the credit for it. But I mean, his makeup job and his presence, uh, the Night King, sorry, I think I called him the White Knight or something. You, you know what I'm talking, you know what I'm referring to, correct? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, uh, and, and the fact that I get to be in an environment where we have a green screen and now we have makeup artists and now we have film, filmmakers and we have actors I mean, I'm just creating like a Petri dish of greatness. You know what I mean? Like we have all the tools that we need in order to train people for what's, what's happening currently, but also what's, you know, where technology is going. Now we're not Mandalorian technology where we walk into a room that's got a thousand and you're in the environment, you know, we're not there yet. We're not in VR. I, I wish, hopefully someday. Well, technology is evolving pretty fast, so who knows? I mean, so much changes just in five years, you know, so I imagine that... Well, I mean, yeah, anybody can be a professional voice actor now because everybody has a recording device on their phone and can go to Facebook and find one of the places where, you know, you just send your voice tape off. Or anybody can be a professional photographer with the new iPad, uh, iPhone 12 that's out there with the three different camera lenses. I mean... Yeah, we're not cutting film anymore and on celluloid. You know what I mean? Like this is we're we're in the future right now. But that's cool cuz you're helping to train the next generation in a way. Mm-hmm. You're a key component of that. 
So I'm just so grateful that I got to do what I loved for 20 years. I mean, I got to work backstage on Broadway. I got to design a show at, you know, at the West Village Theater, at the Barrow Street Theater. I've been able to, you know, jump on a plane and work in Los Angeles. I've been able to AD a, a, a race car television show that was on the Speed Network. You know, I mean, I've had a great career. It can be done. And the fact that I have the opportunity to share my experiences and inspire, promote, mentor, just like women in film, uh, man, why not give back? Why not? Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was growing up and, and I worked craft services for a good five or six years because at the time, the makeup artists were very... There was a very competitive nature of, oh, she's young and 20, so she's going to get put on set over mics. You know, there was just this, there just wasn't this lifting each other up. There wasn't, I mean, there, there was with some people, I'm not going to, I'm not going to blanket statement it, but I, I felt a lot of pushback trying to be a makeup artist and I was trained. You know what I mean? Like I took classes, I had a design degree. I, I created an internship apprenticeship program for other aspiring uh, makeup artists as an undergrad. So I had all my jobs, but I just didn't have a lot of support at the time because, you know, I guess the people that came before me had just been doing it for so long and had built these relationships and they just, it's hard to see, you know, the next best thing come in and take your job, I guess. And it's, it is still very competitive. I was fortunate enough to work with Flipside Creative, which became Torque Films. I worked with the same people for 20 years. Mm. Well, hey, that's a brilliant place to end it. Uh, I just want to say that I hope 2021 ends up being an amazing year for you. It seems yes. like you went through the ringer in 2020. Came out stronger the other side. So I hope this year is amazing for you. So if everyone wants to follow what you're doing and getting up to, where's the best place for them to do that? I am so bad at Twitter. I, I just, I can't get, I can't, I, I just, we don't get along on that platform. I mean, every once in a while I'll be like, happy new year or hi everybody. But I, I just, I'm not a slave to that. I'm on Facebook a lot because I'm an old lady and I hear that that's the old lady platform is Facebook it's where we you know, all go. That's where I promote most of my things. Uh, it is, I, I'm, I'm the OG Bulma a lot of places. I think on Twitter and maybe Instagram, the OG Bulma for sure on Instagram okay. and then Facebook Tiffany Bulmer. So. Interestingly enough, Twitter is really big in America, but it's not actually that big here in New Zealand. It's uh, I don't facebook actually so you're not old lady <laughs> yeah okay you'd just be normal because everyone uses if you could tell my bones and my muscles that i'm not old lady i'd really appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> cool hey well tiffany this has been amazing thank you so much um i'll see what thank i can you. do try and get some point for a convention or something yes new zealand needs some bulma love for sure it does, it does. maybe i can pick you up from the airport there you go yeah there you go i would love that um can you tell me where i can get to this so i can put it on my pages and promote yeah yeah I'll, I'll, 
I'll give you all the details and everything once um once it's released. But um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this chat. This is probably the most emotional I've gotten. In a bit. Oh, Reese, thank you so much. That means so much to me. This is like I think this is the seventy eighth episode that I've done, and yeah, I mean it's a very touching story to me. Um, and primarily because, <laughs> to be honest, there's probably times I've taken for granted just the ability to just go out and do anything. And I think a lot of Kiwis are the same. And uh, we're just so d- disconnected sometimes from the problems of the world. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I find it difficult to, to know that you've gone through all this, you know, and here we are on the other side of the world and everything's fine, you know? So, um, but I'm just so happy that you've, you've come out the other side. And you're good. Thank you. I had a lot of a lot of good energy coming my way, and a lot of prayers, and a lot of a lot of people had faith in me when I didn't have faith in me, and so, you know, I've got to be grateful for that too. Well, I'm giving you all my good energy, so hopefully that helps you even more. And thanks, Reese. Back at you. Back at you. Let's stay in touch. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe, and uh, stay safe. See ya. Bye. Bye.